Uh, hey, good to be with you. Uh, my name is Ethan Magnus, one of the pastors here. So glad that you're with us today. Uh, we're going to have a great day today as we continue. Uh, we're in the middle of this uh, New Testament in a Year project. We're two weeks in. Maybe you've made it to Matthew chapter 10. I'm not going to ask who's made it, but next week I'm going to ask, okay? So pressure's on. We're, next week we'll read 11 through 15. It's still in the book of Matthew, 11 through 15. Uh, you can read it one day, one chapter a week if you want. You can cram it all in on Saturday or Sunday. I'm doing a little bit of both, a little bit of cramming, a little bit of one chapter a day, kind of mix it up here, you know, just stay on my toes. Uh, but, but let's do this. Let's get through uh, the New Testament. And, and remember, at the beginning here, we're just going to preach right along with it. So most of what we talk about is going to be from last week's reading. I'm going to cheat a little bit and go a couple other places, but mostly it'll be from last week's uh, reading. Hey, before I jump into that, though, uh, I want to let you know uh, it's good to celebrate when our God does good work among us. Uh, you may recall in the month of December, uh, we talked about uh, the fact that that we uh, were going to try to, throughout the whole month, uh, give away 20% of everything that was given to the general front of the church, just off the top. Uh, 20% of that would go to church planting and to new leadership programs and uh, taking care of a bunch of kids over in Nairobi, Kenya. And I just want to report, praise God, uh, we ended up, uh, probably in part inspired by that, with the single largest month of giving this church has ever had uh, as a, for regular offering. We've had special offerings that were larger, but for regular offering, largest regular offering we've ever had. Uh, consequently, we'll be able to give $88,000 for our Christmas offering this year, uh, which is amazing. Yeah, praise God for that. Um, and that'll allow us to fully fund that plant down in Nashville. It'll do the stuff we wanted to do and more at the camp and uh, give a really generous gift uh, to, the, to the work in Nairobi as well. So super excited about that and hope you'll be praising God uh, with me uh, about that. Okay, listen, today's message... Uh, I'm so pumped about it. Uh, I just think it's going to be awesome and super fun. It feels a little risky to me uh, because I'm going to try to explain something. And whenever you're trying to explain something, the risk, you know, is high because what if it doesn't make sense or what if it's boring? So I'm a little nervous about that today. But the thing I want to explain um, has the potential to transform your relationship with Christ. If you can just really get this in your head. So, so we're going to make an effort uh, to explain this thing, even though I'm a little nervous about it. Uh, if we were to give this sermon a really boring name, uh, we might call it this. We might call it the nature of Christian moral teaching. Uh, if we were going to give it a boring name, if we were going to give it a name that kept it in line with what we talked about last week, we might say this, the new king needs a new law. Uh, and if we were to give it a name that might be clever but wouldn't be clear at all, we might say this, archery is over. It's time for the javelin. Now, I know that name doesn't mean anything, but perhaps it you know, at least makes you curious. Uh, but for now, let's start with that second name for this sermon. We're going to pretend I named it this. A new king needs a new law. Uh, last week, we looked about how the opening four chapters of Matthew are designed to prepare you for Jesus' main point. The new kingdom is here. Turn around and follow me. And Matthew establishes that Jesus is the king of blessing and the king of eternity and the king of rescue and the king of power and the king of mercy. And then right after Jesus, the new king, begins his ministry 
Well, he does what new kings do. He gives them a new law. We sometimes call this the Sermon on the Mount. It's recorded in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. See, I told you I'm cheating and using one chapter from the previous week's reading. Uh, the setting for the giving of this new law is really simple. We get that in Matthew chapter 5. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to, them, to him, and he began to teach them. Uh, if you're the kind of person who wants to follow along in a paper Bible, I'll be almost completely in Matthew 5 and 6 today, so you can bounce around. We'll be bouncing around a little bit, but if you want to follow along in paper, you can. It'll also be up on the screen. Okay, so here's the setting. The crowds surround Jesus. The crowds are listening in, but his disciples draw near, and it's to them that he talks. You see, Jesus wants for his new law to be overheard by the crowds. He wants to invite them into this kingdom, but he knows the new law is not for the crowds. It's for the disciples, the ones who have said, we are going to follow you. They're the ones who live under this new law. Okay, so he starts in Matthew chapter 5 to give them the new law of the new king. He starts in an interesting way. He starts with a series of blessings. Uh, now, if we had time or this was a different sermon, we would look at those blessings in detail. But for now, it's enough to notice this. You can go back and look at them for yourself. You'll see this. It's very plain. The blessing that Christ promises is not rooted in in our circumstance it is rooted in the action and power of God this is so important to notice uh, that Jesus before he gives them a new law he reminds them that the blessing that God's people depend on is not rooted in our circumstance it is rooted in the action and power of God and then he gets busy he gets busy uh, starting in verse 17 of chapter 5 he gets busy rewriting the law. Now, before we jump into the specifics of how he rewrites the law, we need to notice what a ridiculously big deal it is that Jesus rewrites the law. I mean, first of all, this isn't just any old law. It's God's law. And Jesus, in response to God's law, is going to say over and over again, I know you've heard it said like this, but I tell you to do this. Who does Jesus think he is that he can rewrite the law of God? Oh, right, he thinks he's God. It's just important to notice that this law, which was God's law, has been governing God's people since it was given by Moses. It has been confirmed by the prophets and by miracles, and it has been trusted by God's people. They trusted this law, that if they lived according to the law, they would be blessed. If they accomplished the law, they would experience blessing and Jesus arrives and claims in his own person to have the authority to change the very law of God. Now let's notice how he changes it. Uh, the first thing as I read through these several chapters here is I notice that Jesus consistently extends the law in the direction it was already headed. He kind of prepares people for that in his preface. Verse 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. 
And as you read on, you'll see that what he means by to fulfill them is lots of things. We could talk about lots of things. But one of the things he means by it is he means that he has come to extend the law in its natural direction. Uh, Look at verse 21. You have heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. Anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. You see how Jesus takes the law and extends it in its natural direction. The law already said, don't kill people. Jesus says, no, no, we're going way past that. I don't even want you to call them names. Or or verse 38 You have heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Uh, The original law, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, was designed to limit retaliation. The, The function of the law was to say, if you're hurt by somebody, you can only hurt them back exactly how they hurt you so that things wouldn't spiral out of control. It was designed to limit retaliation. And Jesus takes that same law and just extends it all the way. He says, here's how much we're going to limit retaliation. How about no retaliation at all? Just don't retaliate. And and he does this again and again through uh, this sermon. He takes the law and extends it. Here's the second thing I notice about how Jesus changes the law. He consistently makes it harder. Like if you thought it was hard to follow the Jewish law, wait till Jesus gets a hold of it. Uh, Verse 20, I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. What? I know we think of the Pharisees as the bad guys of the story, but in their day, they were known for their meticulous righteousness, for their goodness as people. Verse 27, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Already we know the sad truth is that just following that law is hard for so many. But he goes on, I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. In chapter 6 and 7, you read about where he said, don't judge and don't worry. This is the new law of Christ. You can see why I say he consistently makes the law harder to keep. He does not make the law easier. He makes the law harder. Another thing I notice about the way Jesus changes God's law is he consistently replaces a target that I could hit with a trajectory that you could never reach. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The Old Testament law about money had targets. Give this percentage to that, and this percentage to that, and this percentage to that, and if you give away all those percentages, you're good with your money. And Jesus just eliminates them. He just says, no, 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 just don't store money here. Store all your money in heaven. Just just do that. Well, how much is that? What's the number I'm supposed to shoot for, Jesus? I mean, how do I know when I'm done? 
He does the same thing. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. You've heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's hard enough, given the neighbors some of us have. But look what he says next. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Again, where's the target? Where's the benchmark? How much is too much? How do I know when I'm done? You read through the Sermon on the Mount and you see how Jesus changes the law, how the new king gives us a new law. Uh, Ultimately, I conclude something like this. The new law of Christ is for all practical purposes unkeepable. I mean, I just don't know how a person could really attain to keep all this new way of life. I mean, here's what he says in Matthew, verse 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. You, you, you wrestle with the Sermon on the Mount. And I love the Sermon on the Mount. But you read it. And, and you wrestle, and, and I don't know how to come to any conclusion but one something like this. Jesus has not just changed the content of a few laws here and there. It's not like he's picked the five or six laws he didn't like and said, let's tweak that one and tweak that one and tweak that one. Jesus has changed the very nature of the law itself. I told you the boring title for this sermon was The Nature of Christian Moral Teaching. Jesus has changed the very nature of the way Christian morality works. And this difference, the best way I know to think about it in my own brain, is it's the difference between archery and javelin. Uh, I brought a little target here, nothing much to it, picked it up at Walmart, $15, and an old kid's bow. I brought an arrow, but I left it in my office because that just felt dangerous to me. Um, uh, but I'm not very good with this thing. Who knows what could happen? But, but you know how archery works, right? Archery's not too complicated. You, know, you, you get the bow and the arrow and you figure things out and you set up your target and you get back not too far. You don't want to embarrass yourself, but you get back a little bit away from the target and you line thing up and then you let it go and, and hopefully you, you hit the target. But javelin, and again, I don't have an actual javelin either. I did go shopping for one, but they're like $200. So this is, a, this is an old kayak paddle that I took the ends off of, but it'll do for today, okay. Um, but javelin, javelin works completely differently, doesn't it? First of all, there's no target in javelin. There's just a that way. And you just throw. And there is no hit or miss. There's just how far did you throw today and maybe tomorrow you'll throw farther and tomorrow you'll throw farther you can't get a perfect you know in archery you can get a perfect score i looked it up the last couple people who have won the olympics in archery got perfect scores nobody's ever gotten a perfect score in javelin javelin just doesn't work that way in archery you hit the bullseye or you miss the bullseye if you hit the bullseye you did it if you missed you didn't. But in javelin, you can always throw farther, can't you? In archery, once you're good enough to hit the target every time, well, I don't know what you do. I mean, maybe you move the target to make it harder or something, but you've hit it. 
I remember I was in Scouts. We did an archery thing, and there was this one kid whose dad was a hunter, and so he'd been shooting bows his whole life. And we got there, and they set up the targets, and we got out the bows, and he went first thing and just hit the bullseye in every target. And then he went and sat down. What else was he supposed to do? He was done. But javelin is never like that. There's always further to go. There's always a, a, a greater work that you could accomplish. And here's the interesting thing. Even a, 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 the best javelin thrower in the world and the worst javelin thrower in the world have the same amount of improvement they can do. You know what I'm saying? Because let's say you can throw the thing 500 feet and I can only throw it five. How much better could you be? Well, you could be infinitely better. And so could I. Isn't that interesting? No matter how good you are, you have the same amount of improvement ahead of you. This is what Jesus Christ has done to the law. The old law was archery. And some people, like the Pharisees, they were good. They'd been trained, and they'd studied, and they could hit the target. Almost, not quite, but almost every time. And they were proud of it. And they made sure everyone knew it. The old law was archery. And some folks, like the sinners and the tax collectors, they'd never hit the target in their whole life. They were missing the target from the day they were born. All they knew how to do was miss the target. The only reason they even knew there was a target was because the Pharisees were around to point out how badly they'd missed it. And sometimes the people would sit around and argue over exactly what the law was. They're arguing over exactly what the target is. You know, who is my neighbor that I have to love? And what they're trying to do is make the target bigger and closer and easier so that I can hit it. Because once I hit the target, I'm done, right? I can quit. I, can get, oh, I hit that target. You know, I did that, you know. You know, I, I, I'm not very good to my wife. I'm pretty cruel to my wife, and I mock my wife. But the target was just don't commit adultery. And I hit that target, so we're good. And mostly, this archery mentality of moral living, it led to a very destructive relationship with God's grace. Jesus tells this parable of a Pharisee who stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like the other people. I'm not like the robbers. I hit that target. I'm not like the evildoers. I hit that target. I'm not like the adulterers. I hit that target. I'm certainly not like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. That's another target I can hit. That one's a long way off. I can hit that. I give a tenth of everything I get. I hit the money target, God. I'm good. I hit all these targets. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up. He beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me. For I have so much farther to go. I'm nowhere near where you want me to be, God. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, this man, the one who knew about the mercy of God, the one who threw himself on the mercy of God, this man rather than the other went home justified before God. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and everyone who humbles themselves will be exalted. See, let's be clear. 
If the new law of this new king that Jesus gives on the Sermon on the Mount, if it was just a new target that you had to hit in order to please God, if that was the way it worked, he's like, all right, here's the new target, and if you hit this new target, then God loves you, and if you don't, God's not quite so sure. It would be unbearable. Go back and read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. That is not a target you are going to hit. But the new law isn't archery. It's javelin. And Jesus says, throw as far as you can. And then by my grace, tomorrow we're going to throw farther. And then we're going to throw farther. The new law is a trajectory of holiness and perfection. That's what he says. Be perfect as my Father is perfect. If that's a target, you and I are done. But if it's a trajectory that by God's grace, he would empower me to get closer to and closer to for my whole life long until such a day when I'm brought into the perfection of God's kingdom and it is made true in my life. Now that's a life I can live. Jesus says your goal is the perfection and holiness of God. You just aim that way. You throw as hard as you can and I'll catch it and finish the distance. That's what grace is. I was... Uh, freshman in college, and um, I'd swum in high school, but I wasn't very good, and our team hadn't had much of a coach throughout most of that time, and I knew I wasn't very good. And I really wanted to be on the swim team in college, but my, the school I went to had a good swim team, a really good swim team. We were D3, but for D3, we were great. A lot of great athletes swam on that team. And so I was pretty clear that I would not make the team. Uh, first week of school, a couple weeks before practice started, I went down to the coach and had scheduled a meeting with her and came in, and she was one of these kind of gruff people, always shuffling papers, never really looked up from her desk the whole time I was there, and I'm all nervous, and I say, hey, um, coach, I, I really, you know, my name's Ethan, I'm a first-year student here, and I'd really like to swim. I was just wondering, uh, what are the qualifying times that you have to meet? Pretty much any team I knew like that had cut times that you had to meet in order to be on the team. And she said, what are you talking about? I said, I just mean, you know, how fast do I have to swim to make the team? I'm, you know, not super good, but I'd love to swim. And she said, oh, you just have to swim faster. And I just said, oh, I, no, I'm sorry. You don't understand the question. I mean, how fast do I swim, have to swim to get on the team? And finally, she stopped shuffling papers. She looks up. She said, Magnus, you have to swim faster. You swim faster next week than you did this week, and faster the week after that than you did that week, and faster again, and faster again, you're on the team. You quit swimming hard. You quit lifting. You quit coming to practice. You get lazy. You're off the team. All you have to swim is faster. I've never heard anything like that. That's the invitation of Christ. There are no cut times. There's no qualifying thing. There's no number of targets you have to hit in order to qualify as somebody God loves. Every single one of us has more ahead of us than we do behind us morally. We've got to get that in our heads, okay? Some of us think we've kind of accomplished a lot morally. Look at all the targets we've hit. We, we could pray the prayer of the Pharisee. Thank you, God, that I've hit all the targets so far. You, but you see, the Sermon on the Mount tells us that there is more ahead of us in the holiness and perfection that God wants to do in our life than there is behind us. Because here's the thing, moral targets, the, the archery model of morality, moral targets fundamentally don't work. Because if you hit the target, 
you think you're done. You hit a few targets, and you think you've arrived. You hit a few targets, and somebody else misses those same targets, and now you stand in judgment because you hit the targets, and they missed the targets. Or we start arguing over exactly how big the target is. Or maybe, and this has happened to me, and i got to recognize this, maybe you get lucky. And you grow up in a circumstance, and you grow up with some parents that protect you from all kinds of junk that other people get into. That teach you how to hit some of these targets early in life. And so you've been nailing some moral targets your whole life. You've been on target morally in some areas through just the luck of who your parents were. And that you grew up in the church. And other people never knew. And their lives have gotten so off track. And they never even had a chance. Or on the flip side, maybe you missed some major targets. And you know you did. You missed some of the big ones. You know, the thou shalt not targets. Maybe you missed some of the big targets. And you just think, there's, there's no grace for me. I'm off the team. You know, it was archery. Some people hit bullseyes. And some people quit. But that is not the way the moral law of God works in Jesus Christ. Jesus' grace is not just grace to make up for the targets that you miss. And we've all missed the targets. Jesus' grace is also grace enough to empower you to come out the next day and throw farther and farther and farther. And maybe in this life, you will never throw as far as somebody else does who started out ahead and had better training and all those things. I know that. But that isn't what Jesus is asking of you. Jesus wants to totally change the game. He wants to invite you to follow him No longer to count the targets, but to see the trajectory of God's holiness and be on a quest toward that. Maybe in the midst of this you ask, where is the grace? And it's easy to see where the grace used to be, right? There were were clear targets. You hit three, you missed five. God's grace forgives you for the five that you missed. But what about now? Where on the one hand, the burden is so much heavier and farther and higher The burden of the law has been pushed to its extreme. Where is the grace now? To to, to do this, we got to go back to where we started, with the blessing of God. Remember how I said it was a whole sermon in itself, but if you just look at those verses, you would notice that the blessing of God does not rest in your circumstance. And the blessing of God does not rest in your behavior. The blessing of God rests in the power and goodness and action of God. And the same is true of God's law. God's law is not here to judge you. The Sermon on the Mount is not designed to judge you. Listen, if it was designed for that, it'd be really good at it, right? I mean, everybody, I don't know, how, I don't know anybody who can read the Sermon on the Mount and feel like, oh, I'm pretty good at that. No, you're not. But that's not what it's for. The Sermon on the Mount is designed to inspire you, to call you into the trajectory of God's holiness. The moral wisdom of God is designed for your blessing and never for your judgment. If the law was still the target, thou shalt not kill. Well, I don't need grace for that because I never killed nobody. I'm good. I hit that target. But that is not the law anymore. The law is now, thou shalt not ever call anyone a name. Oh no, I did not hit that target. 
So now we ask, where is the grace? The grace is everywhere. The grace is the only way we stand. Under the old archery model, some of you have fooled yourself into thinking that you hit enough targets that you don't need grace. Some of you under the archery model have fooled yourself into thinking that because you hit more targets than the person next to you, you're probably good without grace. But under the javelin model, no matter how far you have ever thrown, it is clear you have so much farther to throw than you have ever thrown. God wants you to throw it so far, it leaves the stadium. This is what Paul writes. You see, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourself. It's the gift of God. It's not by work, so no one can boast. We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The morality of trajectory eliminates the opportunity for pride. For all of us have farther to go. And it eliminates the cause of despair. For none of us have hit the targets. And all of us are here just by grace. Maybe you read the Sermon on the Mount and you thought to yourself, I need to grow in generosity. Well, yep, so does everybody here. All of us need to grow in generosity, no matter how much you gave in 2018. Maybe you read the Sermon on the Mount and you thought, oh my goodness, even if I look at a woman with lust, that counts as adultery. I need to grow in sexual purity. Yep, so does everyone here. Everyone here needs to grow in sexual purity. There is no target we're supposed to hit anymore. There's a trajectory of holiness that calls all of us forward. Grace completes what we cannot. But it does not change God's desire to work real righteousness in your life. Maybe you read the Sermon on the Mount and you want to ask Jesus, tell me again, Jesus, how pure do I have to be? If you were to ask Jesus that, he would just respond, pure? I mean, like all the way. That's how pure you have to be. And then you would say, but, but what if I can't be that pure? And he would say, well, then grace, there's, there's grace. Maybe you would ask Jesus, are these standards, are these real? Is this really what you want for me? It seems so impossible. And he would say, yes, this is the life I've called you to. And maybe you would say, how can that be? And he would say, well, by grace. By grace, I will complete what you lack. And by grace, you will be made complete. By grace, you will be declared righteous, and by grace, you give me enough time, and you will be made righteous. The grace of God is not only the power to finish what we cannot, the grace of God is also the power to heal and work in you actual righteousness in your life. This is the new law of our new king. It is the law of grace. It is grace top to bottom. It is not some target that some people hit and get prideful and some people miss and fall into despair. It is a trajectory of God's holiness that by grace calls everyone forward and in grace redeems everyone regardless of the fact that they never quite make it. I think for a lot of people, 
one of the most important transformation that needs to happen in their following of Jesus is the transition from archery thinking to javelin thinking. Instead of thinking Christian morality is a set of targets you need to hit, and every time you hit one, you get prideful, and every time you miss one, you despair. Jesus doesn't think that way at all. We need to recognize that the call of Christ on our life is a trajectory toward God's holiness. And for every one of us, God delights every time you go just a little farther. And for every one of us, God's grace is sufficient to fill the gap between who you are today and who God will make you be. Let's pray. Gracious God, we are so grateful for a new law, for we could not stand under the old one. Too many targets got missed. Too much was left undone. And so now God, teach us to never settle, but to always push forward, always be called forward by the trajectory of your perfection, God. And let us know that as we are called forward, we are called forward by the all-perfecting power of your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.